The Word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the Word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our Saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's Word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Today I want to talk about something very practical. It might not seem it, but I want to talk about the fear of the Lord. Is fear for a Christian today? Is there any place in the New Testament or in the New Testament Christian's life for fear? And if there is a place for fear, what role should that play? What does it look like? How does it manifest? What does fear look like in a believer's life, if indeed it's supposed to be there? And as we talk about this in terms of our relationship with God, over the centuries, and recorded in the scriptures, God has come to men and women in profound ways, sometimes very subtle, sometimes very, very overwhelming. But when he comes in his glory, he demonstrates an aspect of his character. Sometimes it's his holiness. Sometimes it's his love. Sometimes it's his just compassion on our souls. But there's a variety of things that he reveals because he has a multiplicity of things he wants to show us of who he is. But I want to just... Uh, help grasp this, that there's almost like a scale of the revelation of his glory. As you look in the scriptures and you hear people's accounts, maybe one, scale one, if you will, and, and not that there's any really end of the scale. I mean, you can't end it at 10 with God, can you? But if we go from one to 10, bear with me, okay? A one could be simply seeing a sunset and being taken back by the glory of God. Just think of the wonder of the one who made it all. Like, why are there colors? Why are the clouds that way? I One time when I, when I was a young kid, I was delivering newspapers, and up in the morning sky, the sky became a checkerboard of blue and red because just the way the light hit it. It's just amazing. I stopped on my bike. Like, wow, that's cool. Maybe a demonstration of glory could be you're just walking and you see something in the woods. Reese Howells used to walk through the hills of Wales, and he said he would just sense the presence of God. And he'd just walk there. He'd take his hat off, and he'd walk through the hills. Maybe it's holding a newborn baby and saying, oh my God, this is mine. Where'd you come from? What am I going to do with you? (laughs) You know? But there are degrees of glory. Another degree of glory could be where the Spirit of the Lord comes and you don't know what to do with it. You just don't know what to do. Paul In the New Testament, this is the New Testament, spoke of going to the third heavens. That he had this encounter with God that he was up in the third heavens. Don't know what it means, but he had an encounter that was impactful. Isaiah 6, if you're not familiar with it, write it down on your phone, type it up, read it when you get home. But on Isaiah 6, it records that there was a, a change in the governance of Israel. A king died and a new king came in place. And so things are being shaken. And Isaiah goes to the temple of the Lord and he bows before him. And he has this vision of God. And here's Isaiah, a righteous person already. And he sees 
a vision of God Most High. And it says, the train of his robe filled the temple. And then he just fell down. Oh, woe is me from a, a man of unclean lips and of a people of unclean lips. Like the minute he was in his presence, he had to fall flat down and he realized the sin in his own life. It can undo you. In the Azusa Street Revival, blacks and whites never even came together until that point. But the Spirit of God drew, drew them together and they said people would be falling on their faces in suits into dirty floors because the pastor was removed from his pastor and he had to find a new place to preach. And it was just like a stable or something. And so people from all different walks of life are wearing their best clothes and they fall flat on their face in the dirt because the presence of God came so greatly. The preacher himself Sometimes the glory was so heavy, he didn't want to be seen while he was preaching and he put a box on his head. Crazy, huh? Can you imagine that? But when the glory of God comes, it undoes something within us. We see everything different. St. Augustine, one of the greatest Christian thinkers since the death of Christ, his books are still published hundreds and hundreds of years after his death. He was writing his Christian theology and books on God and they're profoundly glorifying to him. One day God comes to him and he says to his scribe, I can't write anymore. My writings are rubbish for I've seen God. It changed everything. We think we know who he is but when we see him, and a degree of glory that he allows us to see, it can change everything. There's testimonies of here in this nation, well, Scotland, um, in the UK, in the Hebrides, where the glory of God would come and people would get up from their sleep in the middle of the night, not knowing why. And they'd start getting dressed. These are accounts that were written in the newspaper and other things. And they'd get dressed not knowing where they're going in the middle of the night. I can tell you there were no clubs in the Hebrides, okay? There was no place to go. You know, cuddle a sheep, I guess. I don't know. Can you imagine? There's a woman laying in bed, and she sees her husband putting a tie on, his best on, in the middle of the night. Honey, what are you doing? I don't know. Where are you going? I don't know but being drawn by the very presence of God out of their houses to the roads where there'd be people lying out in the roads on the way to houses of prayer that were praying through the night because the glory of God came upon them even before they heard a preacher preach. These are revelations of the Spirit of God, of His glory that have happened. Even in the book of Chronicles, if we get back in the Old Testament, at the dedication of the temple, Solomon is giving his great dedication Wonderful prayer that follows. It says, the spirit of the Lord came in so heavy, people fell down on their faces. In masses, not just one or two, they all did. And it said it was so much presence, the smoke, it filled the temple, the glory of God filled the temple that the priests could not service the altar. They couldn't do their duties. Revelations of who, of who God are is part of our relationship with him. These moments of touching the hem of his garment, these moments of seeing his face, are ours. They're ours. Now, I want to say one thing. If you live your whole life faithful to God, 
loving him, serving him, and you never have a deep encounter, there's a special blessing on you, I believe. Because even Jesus said when he was on earth, he said, blessed are those who haven't seen me and yet still believe. And so if you, you don't have some amazing experience, that doesn't mean you're not loved. That doesn't mean, but there could even be a special blessing on those who don't. But I think everybody can have these. And I think fear of the Lord is one of those keys. Reading the word, praying, worshiping, humility, and fear. These are part, and there's more, but this is part of getting in touch with God because Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And then in, in 1.7 in the same book, Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now the question remains, because this is an Old Testament quote, is fear part of our experience and relationship with God today? Well, this is a tricky thing. I'm going to tell you why. Because both in Hebrew in the Old Testament and in the Greek in the New Testament, the word fear means two different things. One can be a trembling fear, a fear of terror, like if you see a lion, you're going to be naturally afraid. Okay, there's this terror. In fact, some of the words, because there's a few that are used for fear, actually speak of the word flight. They mean like you're running from it. Some even have a connotation of being struck with fear, like you get punched, you know, like, ah. And there's a second definition for both the Hebrew and the, many of the Hebrew and the um, Greek words. And it means the reverence of God. The awareness of who he is, the awe and wonder and admiration that bows before him. As I've been meditating on this, there's two kinds of fear. There's a fear that makes you run, and there's a fear that makes you bow. But they overlap. Because when you touch God deeply, there's a bowing that's more than a bow. It's something within you that goes down. The disturbing reality is that God is big and without him, we are nothing. That conjures a proper fear. But look at this in the New Testament. Let's define this word fear. There's a word in the New Testament that is very familiar to us. It's P-H-O-B-O-S, phobos. Does it sound like phobia? Same kind of thing. So you're getting the sense of a phobia, a fear, something that causes flight and terror but it also means reverence. In 1 John 4:18, it says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Wait a minute. Is this saying we're not supposed to have fear? This is phobos. It can be either way. Let's read Romans 8.15. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves. So your position is changing in the New Testament so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoptions as son. Our position is changed to sonship, to adoption. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. 
So this word again is phobos, this fear that can go either way. But then let's look at Philippians 2.12. I mean, these are, this is the, the quagmire here. Um, Philippians 2.12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What? Perfect love drives it out. So there's something that takes a bit of discernment here and something that God wants us to seek out so that we know what should be in our relationship with him. What is between that flow that keeps the door open and going? Matthew 10, 28, even in the words of Jesus, now this is slightly different. This word is phobos, the one that can mean flight or struck, you know, with fear. But it's the same root word. It's phobeo. P-H-O-B-E-O, just a little change. So it's the same word, but just slightly different. In Matthew 10, 28, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body. So there's one place you should have no fear. But rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So there is a fear that believers are to have. And let's go into this more and more. Here we go. Uh, okay, I'll stick with this. We're also going to jump to the Old Testament just to show the, the difference here. If we look at Genesis 3.10, when Adam spoke to God, he used the Hebrew word yare. I even listened to it a few times to get it right. Yare. I can't get all my British words right, but I can get yare, okay? So, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. That's Yare. Here's Yare again. Genesis 28, 17. This is Jacob encountering God. And he said, I was afraid. And I said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, the gate of heaven. This word is Yare. So once again, it can mean, and awesome, it can mean both. The reverence or the fear of like facing a lion. The reverence of facing God is different than the fear of facing a lion. Now, because this matters, because it is a key part of a relationship with God, I stumbled upon a chapter in the Old Testament that even brought more light to this. And I want to share this with you today. What's interesting is as I was reading through the scriptures, I noticed it mentioned fear quite a few times. And as I went back, in the whole book of 2 Kings, it mentions this word yare 13 times. In the second part of this chapter are 12 of those 13. So God is harping on something, and he, within a within a historical context is painting a little bit of a picture of what fear is to be and what it's not to be. Now, if we turn to 2 Kings 17, bear with me because we've got a lot to go through here. But we will be out by 2 o'clock. Here we go. (laughs) Or before. 2 Kings 17, 6 and 7. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria came and captured Samaria. 
Okay, so the north of Israel, which is now called Israel, has been captured. And he, the king of Samaria, carried the Israelites away to Assyria. So now they're exiles in a foreign land. And placed them in Hala and Habor, the river Gozen, and the cities of the Medes. Now, it says, and this occurred, this exile occurred because the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord God who had brought them out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods. Hmm. That's the first mention. He's mentioning a fear of other gods. And also, in the next verse it says, and they walked in other customs that were not acceptable. So fear is part of their disobedience. Fear of other things. Fear of other things led them to disobedience and exile. Verse 25, we're going to skip forward to. Here's the next mention of it. Yare, fear. I'll start at verse 24. And the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutta, Ava, Hamath, and Sepharvaim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. So what has he done? The king has now taken everybody out of the north of Israel, put them in Babylon, and brought his own people from Assyria and settled them in these houses and lands. So now... The land of Israel, the northern land that was promised to the people of Israel, has now been settled by foreigners. This is a bizarre story here. Listen carefully. And they took possession of Samaria and lived in its cities. At the beginning of their dwelling there, they did not fear the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, You're not going to fear me? I'm going to give you a taste of who I am. This isn't any ordinary land. You've come into my land. This is a land I've given to others. Don't get comfortable. And the lions killed some of them. Verse 26. So the king of Assyria was told, the nations you have carried away and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the law of the God of this land. Therefore, he sent lions among them, and behold, they are killing them, because they had not known the law of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, so listen, there was enough lion attacks that it affected government policy. Must have been pretty major. This isn't just the neighbor you don't like down the street. This is a whole mass of people getting attacked by lions. Send there one of the priests whom you carried away from the land carried away from there and let him go and dwell there and teach them the law of the God of the land. So one of the priests from Babylon comes back and lived in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. Yare. So we're beginning to see that this yare, this fear of the Lord, has to do somehow with an overlapping of our service over our worship, over the attitude of our hearts to who God is. We're also seeing that there's a fear that is wrong, a fear of false gods, of other powers. 
Then we're going to jump forward to verse 37. And this is where it gets to be a bit of a tongue, and I'll skip a few fears in there, but you'll get the idea. If you want to read more, 2 Kings 17, read it. Verse 37. I'm going to start up at verse 35, though. The Lord made a covenant with them and commanded, you shall not fear other gods or bow yourselves to them or serve them or sacrifice to them, but you shall fear the Lord. Sometimes, it seems, we have to analyze our fears because if we keep our fears around, I've heard it said, it can become a meditation. We can begin to dwell on a fear or a thought so much that it becomes a meditation. What about this? And what about that? And what about this? And what about that? And I'm not saying this is certain, but can it be that our fears can then go to the level of worship? That we begin to obey those fears above and beyond, against, counter to what God has told us to do and live? Would fear of things prevent us from living in love with our neighbors? Would fear of things keep us from not forgiving people? Would fear of of things prevent us from giving our whole heart to God? Fears can do harm. He says, fear not. Verse 36, but you shall fear the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt with great power and an outstretched arms. You shall bow yourselves to him and to him you shall sacrifice. And the statutes and the rules and the law and the commandments that he wrote for you, you shall always be careful to do. You shall not fear other gods and you shall not forget the covenant I have made with you. You shall not Fear other gods. Look at that. He says it twice. He's making a point here. There's something serious and important to God that he say, don't you fear them. And then verse 39, but you shall fear the Lord your God and he will deliver you out of the hand of your enemies. However, here's a cringy bit and so common However, verse 40, they would not listen, but they did according to their former manner. Oh, my heart is so wicked sometimes. I can hear a message about fear. I can read a chapter on fear and it not change me. I do nothing with it. I don't take it before God and say, God, what fears do I have that you're addressing here? What are you trying to deal with in my heart? How are you trying to make our relationship flow? How, what, are you, what are you after, God? However, they would not listen. I'm reading a book on integrity. Well, it's a chapter in a book, excuse me. It's a chapter in a book. And I'm reading through, okay, I'm not doing so bad. Oh my gosh, maybe, well, I don't do that. I do that one. I, I lie a little bit. You know, da, da, da. And it gives you this whole thing. It's like, you hear something and you know it to be true. But you think, I'm, I'm doing okay. Yeah. I got integrity down. I don't steal. I don't hit. I don't, you know, I, I don't, I live pretty honest. But I need to hear this. Like, there, yeah, I could take a step up in this. Fear is part of our relationship with God. I think you'll see here in a moment. Uh, hopefully you've seen already. So, 
This is saying clearly. I'm going to back up now in verse 33 because this really paints a point. I'm going to go backwards. Verse 33. To these people who had come into the land, they, it says in the previous verses, they set up their own shrines and made their own gods and they were all doing their own thing and serving the Lord. They were doing both. They wouldn't stop serving their own gods because they were afraid of what could happen. You know, oh gosh, you know. We've had good crops since I started serving that God. I can't give up. But I'll do, do a little service to this lion God, okay? I'll, I'll take care of this. I, you know, I'll have a little fear. Verse 33. So they feared the Lord, but also... Verse 33, I'm sorry. They feared the Lord, but also served their own gods after the manner of the nations from among whom they had carried away. To this day, verse 34... They do according to the former manner. They do not fear the Lord. He just said they fear the Lord, but they don't fear the Lord. What's he saying? He's saying that they do some of the outward signs, but basically their hearts are far from me. They're doing the work, but their attitude and their understanding is not fearing me. They don't understand that I am above all gods. They don't understand that I made the heavens and the earth. They don't understand that I hold all things together by the power of my word. That if I just stopped doing my job, everything would obliterate. Just literally obliterate. Just stop. They don't understand who I am. And they got it all mixed up with their fears and my fears. There's a lady I knew in Florida. Sweet lady. Young nurse. Probably in her late 20s. But she had a deep faith and fear of God that really touched my heart. She was struggling with insomnia and she had to go on very strong drugs because it was really wrecking her. And if you struggle with insomnia, you can relate to this. Fortunately, I am a good sleeper and I thank God I always have been. But I could tell the weariness in her face and her crying. She'd come to prayer and say, please pray. I don't want to be on these heavy drugs. I don't want the, the, you know, the side effects. I don't want these things. But she could not sleep day after day. It must be awful. And she went through this and she tried to get off the drugs and she'd have to go back on and there was this torment within her. I don't have enough faith. I don't. But I tell you, she had more faith than me. Because she told me in one of the prayer meetings, she said, my mom said to me, Let's go back to Haiti and see the doctor. She said, I know what mama's talking about. She's going to take me to the doctors in the woods. I don't want anything to do with it. She was going to go to the witch doctor. And her mother was a believer. But her mother, desperately loving her daughter, said, let's just go to the witch doctor and see what he can do. And this woman struggling struggling with sleep. I'm not touching it. I'm not touching it. I'm not messing with that stuff. I know where that leads. And by faith, she didn't go. Imagine your mom say, come on, daughter. Come on, let's go. No. There is a fear that keeps us. There's a fear that knows who our God is. A fear that won't allow the fear of other gods or anything else they can do intimidate what we're doing with our God that will serve him and him alone. Fear is worship, is connected to our worship. If our greatest fear is God, 
than truly our greatest fear of God, then we have no room for other fears. No other reverences are in our heart. No other thinking things in our heart. One of the reasons why God brings us encounters is to help address the issues in our heart and bring us deeper into relationship with him. There was a time in the church in Orlando where Pastor Mark came, many of you have met him now, that we were going deep and there was a call to prayer. And, and I could go to prayer meetings and I, could, I was learning to pray deeper and it was great. And we were surrounded by these Africans who'd come and they could pray and they'd bring their drums and we were going deep. And oh God, we learned so much in prayer. It was a glorious time. And one night, I was praying and I realized I had a fear that if I really gave my heart to God in prayer, he was going to take my whole night. He just wouldn't let me stop. And I had this fear. I know it sounds silly, but it was a fear against his character. It was not a right fear. It was like, he doesn't care about me. He's going to just strip me of everything. He's going to strip me of every good hour of sleep and make me stay through the night and pray and pray and pray and pray. I wanted nothing of it. Okay? And so I gave myself to him at one point. I said, God, I'm, I don't even know what to do with this. And so that night I allowed myself to pray a little longer than I wanted. There, there was an expression, go as far as you're used to going. You know, say you pray for 20 minutes, then pray for another 10. Just push yourself a little farther. You know, just go a little farther. If, if, if you're worshiping and you're used to doing two songs, try three in your quiet time. So I went a little farther. I had a very unusual encounter. In the middle of my prayer, I felt God say, it's time for bed. And it was one of those things that stun you for a minute. Like, really? It's okay? I don't have to deal with guilt about this one? I don't have to feel condemned? I don't have to... I can go to bed. And I went to sleep in peace. And I remember the moment as my foot touched the bed and the, the floor and the next morning, the presence of God was all around me. And I stopped. I didn't do anything for this. And I just joy. Like, how can this be? I didn't work myself up. I didn't worship a song. I didn't read any Bible yet. I didn't. He was there. And he was undoing the lies in my heart that had been set against him. Your encounters with God are not just for an experience, but they're part of your deep relationship with who God is. So ask him for them. Feel free, God, I want to know you in a deeper way. Your word says glory to glory to glory. Not just to stay the same, but glory to, God, I want to know you. And I tell you, when he comes like that, when he comes in experience, for those of you who have had the beauty of seeing God in, in, in light and in meeting you, those moments are treasured like you just can't. Sometimes when you think about them, you think, oh, that was precious. That changed me. That, that, that impressed God upon my heart. That left something of who he is with me. Oh, gosh. I'm not halfway done. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Um, okay, let me just skip really quick ahead. Interesting point, point, I'll just, we won't go into this, but 
right before chapter 17 is a story of Ahaz, who is a, a king in Israel, or Judah, the southern part, who actually went to another king to get support against another army. Instead of turning to God, he turned his back on God and went to another country to get support. It failed miserably. The story's there. It's also recorded in Chronicles. He even paints more of the picture. Because in one day, Ahaz lost 120,000 of his soldiers in war. One day, wiped out. The second chapter, or the chapter after 17, is about Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was a king who, when the king of Assyria came against him, he turned his heart to God. He, he put on sackcloth and ashes. He went to the temple of God. He goes, oh, God, I have nothing that can stand against this man. And one single night, because of his turning to God, because of his fear of God, his trusting in God, not turning to Pharaoh or anybody else to help support him, 185,000 men of the enemy camp died. Real polar opposites here. You're getting something here. And right in the middle is chapter 17 about the fear of the Lord. Okay, we'll skip, skip that bit. Okay, Romans 11, believe it or not, says, consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. This is a New Testament passage. In our relationship with God, we need to both consider the kindness and the sternness of God. And those of you who want to say God isn't stern anymore, read Ananias and Sapphira, okay? And there's a reason for that, lack of fear. Think of the story. I'm not gonna get into it. Okay, yet... Richard Trent, who's a, a theologian from this nation, years ago said, essentially, that in the New Testament, or in the Old Testament, we have fear with a, some love in it. In the New Testament, we have love, but there's still some fear in it. Love is a great thing, but there also is a recognition that this God who loves is great. This is my last passage, okay? There's a beautiful bit at the end of Revelations that talks about, to me, about the fear of the Lord and about the wonder of who our God is. John, the apostle, is writing in the very first bit of the book of Revelations about his friend Jesus, okay? He's, it's all about Jesus. It's a revelation of Jesus, Okay? Which is odd because John saw Jesus walking on the earth. He walked roads with him, dusty miles. He knew Jesus. He saw Jesus heal people. He's walked dusty roads with him. He'd seen him heal people, raise the dead even, Lazarus. Sick people come in impossible circumstances and change it all. And this same John also saw a dead body, the dead body of his friend, risen to new life. He knew Jesus like we do not. He had awe and appreciation for him, and he loved him deeply. But listen what happens when he meets Jesus now. Revelations 1. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. John hears his voice behind him. It doesn't say this in the scripture, but it says, I, I, th I think, there's John. Wait a minute. That voice sounds familiar. 
I know that voice. And he turns. Scripture says twice that he turned. And he turns around. And what is his reaction to this one that he saw on earth? I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among those lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool and white as snow. And his eyes were like burning fire, blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in the furnace. His eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Jesus came to earth to reveal the father, to show us who the father was. He was a man who knew, the, knew Jesus as revealed on earth and he sees the glory and the beauty of God in heaven. I don't know this. This is far more than I anticipated. This is far more than I ever imagined. This is beyond my comprehension. But this is Jesus. I tell you, in our relationship with God, these encounters can help us. The word can help us. Prayer can help us. Humility can help us. But fear of who his name can open doors and we can get to know who our God is and he can straighten our heart. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.